Time for Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsama. Hope you had a great weekend, much like we did. And Ira, little change of pace here. You are in studio, and I am not. But <laughs> you had to do a lot of uh, traveling to get yourself back here in time for the show because you were in Kansas City. Yes, definitely. I was in Kansas City. Had a great uh, time there uh, watching the uh, the Chiefs uh, game. Uh, just simply amazing against the Bengals. Uh, it seemed like in that first half it was going to be a blowout and everything, and then it turns into, you know, these playoffs just keep delivering. I mean, if you're not really invested in any of these fans and just want and teams and just want to watch a game, it's like every single one of them in the last two weeks has come down to the last second, and we weren't disappointed this weekend uh, in these two in the two games. Yeah, and you know what? Like you said, I mean, came down to the last second, and both teams that lost at one point in the game you would have said, oh, there's no way they could blow this. <laughs> you know what I mean? That makes it even better. Right, right, right. I mean, that was, and I think um, that that was it. I think that's the the point was, is that it just, and I and being there in Kansas City, and I have been in stadiums that the home team has lost. We talked a little about this when the Steelers were there and they lost. When you see a home team, I've been in Heinz Field and the Steelers lose to Jacksonville, and it's just like you can hear a pin drop. And when the game was over, when that field goal went through for McPherson, it was, I mean, it was, that stadium emptied out faster. Like, you could have said, I mean, it just was gone. Like, except for the Bengal fans that were there, the Chiefs fans just, it seemed to, like, disappear. Just completely disappeared. It was amazing. It did seem like, and you know what, we'll talk all about the game in a moment. It did seem like there was a lot of Bengals fans there. What did it look like to you in person? Uh, it was. There was. After the game, there were some uh, uh, pictures up there on on my Facebook, on Instagram page, Iron Sports. And when it happened and when the Bengals, remember, they're having the ceremony. So they had a ceremony for the AFC Championship and the Bengals fans all came down and they were all like in the lower bowl. And then on top, so you saw there was a good, I would say, 10,000 Bengal fans. It's not a hard drive from Cincinnati down to Kansas City. And then when I tried to go over to watch the second game, all the restaurants and the hotels in the area were all packed with Bengal fans. So it was like, I mean, the Chiefs fans just went home. I mean, they weren't going to sit at a bar. Like if you lose a game like that, it's not like you're celebrating now. Or do you just want to go home and go to sleep? That's what you want to do. No, absolutely. Uh, we're going to have Vahe Gregorian join us at about 7.45. Tell us about it. Well, I read an article today. I was in getting on the plane, and I read one of the best articles I've ever read in the Kansas City uh, Star, which is the newspaper for Kansas City. And he talked about, is the window, like, he, it was it was just a whole analysis of the season. It was their lead story, and he's he's a Pulitzer Prize-winning writer. He's voted one of the top ten sports columnists in the country. And just his analysis of what Kansas City was, and I thought it would be neat to bring him on because, you know, we're down here in South Florida. The same thing with Marino. It's like, it was, it was, you always thought, oh, Marino's going to win three, four Super Bowls. It's, he's going to win whatever. And then, then it was all over. And Mahomes has won. It just seemed like it was inevitable. He's 26 years old. They still aren't, the window hasn't closed. The window's still wide open, but maybe it will close. And we, you know, so it'd be great to bring him on. And he did, you know, he, the, you'd see the paper criticizing, re criticizing Mahomes. The Chiefs made a lot of mistakes and they don't realize that this, you know, the window is not going to be open forever. And when you have a chance like this, when you're a favorite by seven and a half points at home over the Bengals and get to go into the Super Bowl with the Rams, when you have been favored probably by four or five points, maybe six points against the Rams. You can't blow these opportunities to win titles. And you're going to talk more about that a little bit later about, you know, what is Patrick Mahomes? <laughs> I mean, you know, there was a point, Ira, and we'll get into the, you know, you're getting there in a minute, but after he won the first Super Bowl, 
everyone was thinking, oh, man, this guy's going to win seven Super Bowls. Like, he's just going to cruise through it every year. Vegas set the line at one and a half more Super Bowls. Just one and a half more is what Vegas thought. Now, looking at that bet, that might be the under. I mean, it's crazy to think about, but with the competition now in the AFC, like you said, he's not going to have these cakewalks to the Super Bowl anymore. No, and he's not. And you saw mistakes that he's making, and he's got to clean them up. And and that's the difference. I mean, I I just I can't wait to break this game down. And I think a lot of people, you know, oh, the Chiefs' defense. The Chiefs' defense played great. The Chiefs' defense played. You can't ask for uh, more of a defense. You say you're going to hold Cincinnati to 24 points in in the in the game. You know they scored three in overtime. You're like Chiefs are going to win easily. I mean, it's not the Chiefs' def- It's not the Chiefs' defense. It was their offense, and it was the fact that they scored. They had 84 yards total in the second half in overtime and scored three points. That's unbelievable. I mean, just I, I just can't even imagine. I mean, that is it is it's something like you wouldn't expect Tom Brady to do that. Um, and it, for Patrick Holmes, who gets paid five hundred is a contract, have a half a billion dollars, expect more than three points in overtime, second half in overtime. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Don't forget, at Ira on Sports, all across social media, follow up. Ira got some great pictures uh, from this weekend. So let's talk about, first and foremost, you getting to Kansas City. What ended up being the decision on choosing this game over the Rams? It just seemed to be the, I'm going there to the Super Bowl, not going to the Super Bowl, but I'll be in the, in the, in the L.A. area in, in a week and a half, go to the parties, do those things, unless something, a miracle happens, I get Super Bowl tickets. These prices for the Super Bowl, that's not a sporting event. It's like traveling. I mean, it's it's the choice of, do I want to get a ticket to go to the in space, you know, like an Elon Musk <laughs> spike shuttle, or go to the Super Bowl? Because they there's just none available. Just so people understand, the Super Bowl tickets, they don't really sell them. They just give them to people, and those people can't sell them. And so there's so few that are even on the market of Available, so there's a very, very limited supply. I mean, I just went to a game yesterday. Sixty thousand tickets were available, and people could have just sold sixty thousand tickets. That's why there's certain prices. The Super Bowl, you might have there's eighty thousand, seventy, eighty thousand seats in the stadium. There might be just a few thousand tickets that are just truly available that you can even sell. And they're at the point now that you almost, if someone sells a ticket, you have to take their phone. They're going to give it to the phone, and you have to go in with their phone, or they'll someone have to give you a phone to take the ticket. It's very complicated, and it's going to be really difficult to think. And, it's, and, I, and also, I don't want to go to the Super Bowl. People ask me this question. And the upper deck in SoFi is so high, spending you know thousands of dollars to sit super high in the air. You see where my ticket was for this Kansas City game. I mean, I sat 25-yard line, 50 rows on the 50-yard 50, 50 line, 50-yard line, 25 rows up. Um, with a, The person who sold me the ticket I bought online is the coolest guy. His family has had the ticket since 1972. They've had the same tickets in Arrowhead. And they used to have tickets in the stadium before that. And he was so cool, and it was great talking to him. And seen, he's seen everything. And uh, But it was like when you're going and going to the games like that, you're not, you know, certainly SoFi sitting up. That upper deck is like a deck on top of Arrowhead. So I went to, like, the top of Arrowhead, and then you go to another deck. That's how high SoFi Stadium is. It's just not worth spending the money to go sit up there no no like you, you could buy a car probably for you <laughs> you know not really worth it okay let's talk about it ira uh kansas city and cincinnati you were there let's talk about uh, everything leading up to the game that's usually my favorite part here in the end well it's just around. just generally it was easy i love the airport easy just i just flew the night before i did not i forgot that kansas was playing kentucky so there was no rental cars and if i knew that might have flown like the day before i went to kansas because i haven't been to allen Fieldhouse, and I, I made a mistake probably not seeing that game 
But I ended up flying in, went to a hotel right by the airport, and then the day of the game, watch it, got up 2.30 in the morning, watched the Australian Open, watched Nadal, which we'll talk about a little later, then went and rented. It was cheaper for me, listen, to go back to the airport with the shuttle, rent the car, drive to the game, park at the game, because you could park for like $40, and park at the game, and then drive the car back. Then I re- took it back to the rental car facility, and then went back to, got a shuttle back to the hotel, because I had left at like 6.30 in the morning. So it was like, because to Uber to, from the airport, from the hotel to the stadium, is like $250 each way. So this was sort of the best way to work, but it, it actually worked out pretty great. And certainly with the going to the game, I was, I love my ticket. The ticket was perfect. The weather was amazing. And the atmosphere outside, I mean, I have some pictures up there. It's like everyone gets there super early. Everyone's tailgating. It was just, it was, it was a college football, Penn State, Michigan type of atmosphere with people just there, all decked out in red. As we've talked about this before, everybody goes to the go, you know, no one's like too cool for school. Everyone's wearing red. Everyone's wearing the red and white, the Chiefs colors, a little yellow, and those things. And that's where it was, that's the exciting going to that stadium. And I, I was there two hours before the game. And they let, they open up the gates. I rushed in, I got my pins, you know, I love those pins. And I went down there and I want to see them warm up. And I'll tell you, I got a treat of all treats. The Chiefs came out, like an hour and 45 minutes before the game. Mahomes was out, Hill, Kelsey, they're all out. Their whole offense was out. And they were in there in just, you know, sweatpants, just running around, not in their uniforms. But what I noticed was amazing. They were so relaxed so loose. I mean, they were literally, Patrick Mahomes was running roots. They were throwing him the ball. Then they went around and they were playing hacky sack with a football. Then they were playing these other games they were playing. It was crazy. They were just, they were just having fun. I'm like, they're either too relaxed or they're just like, or whatever. I mean, this, I thought maybe this was a good sign, but I remember two, three years ago, I was in Baltimore for the Indian, for the Tennessee Raven game. Remember the Ravens were like two touchdown favorites and they're playing Tennessee and they were like, you know, had like two losses on the year and they just got blown out. And they were like that too. They were joking around and whatever. And Lamar Jackson later said we weren't, you know, really focused in the, before the game. And I felt like the same thing. They had photographers on the field taking pictures, all these other things. Just it was just seemed like they it, it was like almost spring practice in in July and August. And I think that was so cool. I got some great pictures of that. But I'm like I'm like in my mind I'm saying is this relaxed good or is this relaxed bad? You know, are you going to play tight or are you just too relaxed? And it ended ended up they probably were too relaxed because when they took that 21-3 lead, they just totally. They went back in the locker room and, you know, they just didn't really care. And they come out and, and then a team like the because the Bengals, when they came out, were focused. Like there was no goofing off in their warmups. I mean, they were prepared and, and ready and, and they there was no laughing in games or anything. I mean, they were the Chiefs were just dancing and having a good time. And, and that would have been worked if they would have blown them out, but not when you lose. No, I remember that was the uh, the Baltimore game you were at was the uh, Lamar Jackson MVP season. And, that, you know, they assumed that they were going to cruise, came in off the buy and got spanked by the Titans. Um Let's talk about the game, Ira, because you, you just alluded to it. It was very much a tale of two halves. And early on in this game, you're looking at the Chiefs, and nothing can stop them. And the Bengals can't get anything going. And I'm thinking to myself, this might be, you know, a 24-point blowout here. Little did we know that was not what was going to happen. 24. I mean, this could have been like, this looked like 50 to 10. Like, it was almost, the, you know, the Bengals go three now. The Chiefs go down 11-play, 84-yard drive, take six minutes. 
But they, they used Jared McKinnon at, at running back instead of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire to start the game, which was great. But he runs eight yards. He runs 14 yards. Uh, they McKinnon, then he ran for eight yards, and they throw it for Kelsey for 10. Mahomes scrambles for 11. McKinnon runs for seven. And then Mahomes to Hill for a touchdown. It's like easy. It just reminds you like the Steeler game or like the end of the Buffalo game. And then the Bengals, they have a drive down there. But then this is what happens. You know, what were you criticizing the Bengals about? Field goals, not touchdowns. But for two first, uh, the playoff games, the last two playoff games, Four field goals. We said, there's no way if they only had four field goals, you know, that's not enough. you got to score points. you got to score touchdowns. You can't just score field goals. We criticized Alabama against Georgia about that. They come down there. They actually had a good drive, um, but they, but then when they finally got down to the 14-yard line after Nixon had a really good run, they threw three straight incompletions to Boyd, Higgins, and Chase, and then McPherson came in for a 32-yard field goal. So 7-3, you know, we're, you know, Bengals are still sort of in the game. But what do the Chiefs do? Seven plays, 72 yards. Mahone to Hardman, 42 44 yards. McKinnon, another 11 yards. And then Mahomes to Kelsey for a touchdown. So 14-3. And then the Bengals, what? They have to punt. So they go, you know, they go three and out. They punt the ball. What do the Chiefs do again? Eight play, 72-yard drive. It was just Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was running the ball. Then 19-yard pass, though, wide open to Kelsey. And, you know, I'm there in the stadium and you're seeing it. And it's what you see when the Chiefs, when it just seems like they have 15 players and the Bengals had five. Like it's like they like Mahomes could go to whoever he wanted. Everything was open, and the and they were getting no pressure on Mahomes. It just seemed like so easy. And I think it was. And then they they threw a touchdown pass to Hardman, made it twenty one three. And then you're thinking with like five minutes to go, like where is this game going to go? Because you knew that the Bengals got the ball to start the first half. So that means the Chiefs are getting it yeah. the second. You're thinking wait twenty eight thirty five. Like you're just adding the numbers up, and everyone's like you know big party. But then the Bengals, to their credit, they had it. They it was really burrow through the plastic. Perrine, Perrine, and he ran 41 yards for a touchdown. They made it 21-10. That was a key touchdown. It might have pressured, pressed the Chiefs on their next possession, but it was like that finally, you know, but you knew the Bengals had to score a touchdown. I mean, they, they're one of the most prolific offenses in football. You can't just hold them down forever. And so they did score that touchdown, and, and people are like blaming the Chiefs' defense. I'm like, look, you know, they still had an 11-point lead, and then the Chiefs come down, and this is where really – I think the game, you know, clearly turned. We talked about this in the in the in the Bucks game when 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 they had a chance when the Rams fumbled the ball on the one. Well, and this was even worse. The Chiefs with one with a minute and five left, you know, that's nothing for the Chiefs. They scored with 17 seconds. Mahomes to Hill for 33 yards. Mahomes to Kelsey 14 yards, then nine yards, and then to Pringle. And then at first and ten on the 15, they threw to Hill. And Eli Apple, smart move. He just literally tackles Hill because he realizes what time's gonna run out. It doesn't matter. You know, just you know, we gotta run the timeout. So he so get an interference penalty. Cincinnati call, you know, calls their timeout. Kansas City had used all theirs. So this is where it was. It was first down and goal on the one with nine seconds to go. Mahomes drops back, sees nothing, throws the ball in the ground. So now there's five seconds left. And I'm standing right behind, I'm, we're standing the whole game, right behind the Chiefs bench, 25 rows up. And Mahomes runs off the field, talking to, to Reed. And then the kicker, Butler, Butler, comes out and he's on the field kicking. And I'm like, they're going to go for a field goal. And then you could see Mahone's like, I want to stay in. Let's run this, run this. And Reed said something, and they start using hand signals and screaming to each other. And then Mahone's runs back. And I'm thinking, there's five seconds left. And now Mahone said, oh, I was greedy. 
And I'm like, no, Greedy was going for it with five seconds to go. Stupid was then throwing a pass back to Hill when he was covered. That was the mistake. Like, I would have had a problem. Mahomes is, you know, paid $40, $50 million a year. He could get a playoff saying, we're going to run a play. If it's open, we throw it, touchdown. If not, I throw the ball on the ground. We have a second or two left, and then we have time. And this is not Dak Prescott, a quarterback. Mahomes can figure that out. But instead, he throws it back to Hill where there was two people that were going to tackle him, and then they don't get no points from that. Big turning point in the game. So instead of being up 24 to 10, they're only up 21 to 10. And I'm with you. You know, I was watching at home thinking exactly that. Like, you know, it, it seemed right then like this was a pivotal point in the game. Even though the Chiefs have been looking fantastic, Bengals have been kind of sluggish, you knew that they needed a touchdown there or at least get the three points. And they didn't. And we've seen that kill teams, I mean, all season long, but all playoffs long as well, not taking the points when you have them on the board. And, it, you know, as we'll find out in a second, it would cost them. This is Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Uh, Bahe Gregorian joins us at 745, uh, uh, right around St. Louis. It's going to be a great interview. Follow Ira at Ira on Sports. So second half, Ira, let's go. Chiefs got the ball, like you said, and you're like, man, if they come down and score immediately again, Bengals are going to be in bad shape. But what do they do on third and six? They throw Mahomes, and that's where he wasn't sharp. Like, what happened? He comes back out, and there were drop passes. But I just noticed that you know Mahomes, I think, had like two or three incompletions the first half. Suddenly has like eight or nine in the second, and the interceptions, of course. But he throws to Kelsey. Then they get stopped on third and six on the 37. And the Bengals come down there. But again, it's like the Bengals didn't take advantage of it. They drove down to the 40-43 yard line and then they got a delay a game. Like, like they they couldn't figure out, like they didn't even get a, you know, they, they could have kicked a field goal if they got a little closer. But then, so it's not like, I, they, the question is, did the Bengals, you know, win the game or the Chiefs lose it? I think the Chiefs 100% lost it because the Bengals in that situation, they didn't just go down and score. They went and putted the ball. So, okay. So now it's still 21-10. Everything's under control. Calm down, everyone. Chiefs get the ball. First down to Hardman. Then on third down, Pringle drops the ball. So they punt again. So here's a team that had the ball four times in the first half. No punts. Three touchdowns. Should have had four touchdowns. Suddenly, they've now punted twice. And then the Bengals go down there. Burrow to chase for 22 yards. Uh, there was another pass interception. And then they had first and goal on the eight. Burrow was sacked. And then they ended up having to kick a field goal. So instead of like, like the first down and goal in the eight, that you're like the Bengals, you kind of score touchdowns. You can't, like, what kind of game are you playing? You really think the Chiefs are just going to hang around and just stay at this number? It's like playing blackjack and thinking that the dealer's just going to draw twos and twos. You know, it's like ridiculous. Like, it's not going to happen. Like, it was crazy. And they go for a field goal, made it 21 13. So then, uh, and then what, what do the Chiefs do? They get the ball back. And then Mahomes, we've talked about this. This was the beginning part of the year. Go scrambles around and then throws the worst interception where a defensive lineman intercepts the ball. Like, just he doesn't even throw it high. It was just a terrible interception. It's something, you know, Matthew Stafford would throw. And that was just awful about it. And that, so that, I mean, again, that was just horrendous. And then that finally, you know, that was the Bengals go down there after that. You know, they got a short field. They went chase, chase, chase. They score the touchdown, get the two-point conversion, and then make it 21-21. You're like, okay, is now the, are the Chiefs woken up. Now the score is tied. You blow the lead. But, of course, we've seen the Chiefs, you know, okay, against the Bills. Well, 17 you know, seven seconds left. We'll come back and win the game. But they didn't wake up. That was what's surprising. They just didn't wake up. Uh, again, the Chiefs get the ball. Uh, Mahomes gets sacked on third down, losing nine yards back to the 23. And then, uh, and then you're like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. But then with the Bengals, the Bengals go down at 21-21, and Burrow throws an interception. Great interception by Snead by the Chiefs. 
Uh, but then, you know, what did the Chiefs do with the interception? Again on third down, Mahomes gets sacked again. So now it's punt after punt after punt. The Chiefs can't move the ball against a Bengals defense that really, you know, isn't the, the greatest defense in the world. And then the Bengals get the ball, 12-27 left, 11 plays, 46 yards, six-minute drive. Burrow scrambled, uh, you know, at the, from the, the seven-yard scramble in third and six, 11-yard scramble. I mean, these scrambles were amazing, just like, you know, fighting through Ben Rotzenberger, young Ben style, like fighting through everything. And then uh, and then they on first 10 on the 34, you're thinking, oh, they'll go and score a touchdown. Like, they need a touchdown. You can't just kick another field goal. What do they do? Another field goal. So he gets McPherson, 52 yards, 24-21. And then what do the Chiefs do? Chiefs had this drive down. They perfect thing, as you expected. They're going to drive down. They're going to win the game 28-24. Call it a day. We'll be talking about the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. They, but they go down first and 10 on the 15 with two minutes to go. So just run it out. But what happens? Mahomes scrambles and goes out of bounds, which I couldn't understand. Then he scrambles again and goes out of bounds again. Like you want the clock to run down. You're going to score a touchdown. And then uh, they get they get the first down and go on the five. And then what happens? They, uh, they, 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 get, they sack Mahomes for five yards. Then Mahomes gets sacked and fumbles for 15, forcing him to hit, you know, kick up a field goal to tie, just to barely tie. Of, instead of having, they were, you know, first and goal with a five, and suddenly now it's first and now it's the fourth and goal on the 26, and they kick the 44-yard field goal. And then, again, you still think the Chiefs are going to win. They won the toss. Everyone that won the toss, they're going to go down like they did against the Bills, score the touchdown, game over. And what does Mahomes do? Throws an interception, trying to force it into Hill. And then the Chiefs, and then the Bengals go down and kick the field goal to win. But, I mean, it was just that second half. I mean, Mike, we were texting each other. You just could not believe what you were watching. You know, it's interesting what you said. And I think you're correct on this. I'll give the Bengals all the credit in the world, Ira. But this is the Chiefs losing a game more than it is the Bengals winning one. And you still have to do it, but there was a lot of mistakes and just, you know, dumb plays. And like you said, you know, running out of bounds and the clock should be running here. They shot themselves in the foot. And this is, you know, we've seen this from Mahomes quite a few times. It's not new. Three points in the second half. I mean, this is not a game in September and October. This is a game to go to the Super Bowl with the pressure on. And it was it was just the mistakes, like the turning of the back, like it's great. Like if you're going to turn your back, you're going to scramble. But it's the play calling by Andy Reid. Now, this is the fifth time he's lost a championship game when he's been the favorite. So it's just a combination of everything. When you have the weapons that they have, I it's just beyond belief to think that they only scored three points. They were forced to punt four times. They had two interceptions. I mean, what is this? I mean, this is like, you'd expect this out of the Jets. You know, you'd expect this out of, I mean, I mean, Jacksonville. Like, I'm trying to name teams, but I just couldn't believe it. And I want to give the Bengals credit, and I want to say their defense really stepped it up, but it just seems like Mahomes, again, it was instead of throwing, the same thing we said about Aaron Rodgers. Instead of throwing the seven or eight yard, get the first down, move the sticks, he wants the, the, the fancy play, the deeper play. Like he just seemed to be forcing it and forcing the passes and not taking what the defense gave him. And Cincinnati was like, fine, you want to keep doing that? That's great. And it just didn't work. And, and just, I think if I'm a Chiefs fan today, I was like, what happened? And that's how they felt like they could not, it just felt, it's not like they, you know, the Baltimore game, Baltimore was got down and couldn't come back. And you saw that they really need to have a lead when I was there for the Ravens, that Colts get the Ravens Titans game. But in this game, it's like they were at halftime. They're like, we're celebrating like they're up until when they won that toss, when they won the coin toss to overtime, they're like, we're, this game's over. Like we're ready. People are packing up, ready to go. They're like, we're, they're going to score in like 30 seconds and we'll go home. And that's where I think that just, it's just deflating the fact that Mahomes cannot pull this out with so much at stake, the Super Bowl. 
you know, well, it's interesting you talk about that because, yeah, I, I do think they, they probably did think they were going to win <laughs> the Bengals, you know, the Chiefs fans. I mean. But talking about the Bengals, the defense, like you said, they were suitable. They were not overwhelming. Last week, watching the Titans play the Bengals, they gave Joe Burrow fits. They were in his face every play. How many times, Ira, did you see where Mahomes had like 10 seconds? You know, that offensive line held those guys off for a long time on a lot of those plays. And he keeps scrambling, keeps, you know, looking for the the deeper route instead of the dump off. And that's when he got into trouble. It wasn't because they were constantly in his face. He let them get in his face. Right, right, right. But it was like, and that sets up, you know, perfectly in terms of what the the uh, Rams-San Francisco game was. Let's talk about that uh, Rams and San Francisco game. This is another one, Ira, where... I'm looking at this game with like 10 minutes to go and thinking there is no way San Francisco can lose. And sure enough, that's what happened. (laughs) Well, I mean, we'll just real quickly, you know, break that down. I mean, the Rams, you know, first of all, Stafford threw his, I was waiting for the interception. Like, you know, so now third and three on the three yard line, they're ready to score a touchdown, throws the interception and he's lucky. I mean, they're lucky that they didn't run it back. That could have been a pick six. Like you're, you're Stafford's good for a pick six a game. It seems like, but that wasn't a pick six. And then the Rams though, but the 49ers, you expected not much offense, but the Rams go down 18 play 97 yards. It was like, I think the longest drive they've had in years. Uh, they it's 97 yards touchdown. And, uh, but then the 49ers matched made it, you know, with Debo with that 44 yard past the depot and then the Rams you know they go down that's where you got scared for the Rams the same thing you were thinking about for the Chiefs because Stafford threw it to Skornick he just dropped the ball like that should have been a touchdown and uh and then they, they then they have a field goal they missed the field goal and then of course the 49ers come down Robbie Gold who's you know McPherson and Robbie Gold are just making everything in the playoffs I and mean, McPherson's 12 for 12 again the, McPherson is uh, to have a field goal kicker at this time of year is and that might be the difference you know gay for the uh Rams is a little he missed some field goals uh, yeah that's a big advantage the Bengals have but Gold kicks the field goal to make it 10-7 and then the second half, uh, you know, the, the, when the 49ers went on a 10-play, 58-yard drive, when Jimmy G threw that pass to Kittle, uh, George Kittle, in 17-7, that's when you're thinking, this is, this is the 49ers' day. Like, their defense is going to stop the Rams. It's 17-7, middle of the third quarter. It's like, you really feel like, wow, the, the 49ers had exactly where they wanted to be in that game. Uh, let's talk about, uh, as this one went on, yeah, because that with that defense and the way they can run the ball – I just figured, well, this should be an easy closeout for, for Kyle Shanahan. Wasn't the case, though. No, because then they come back, the Rams, you know, the Rams were doing stupid stuff. They were burning their challenge. They were challenging the stupidest things. Like, Sean McVay had no challenges all year, and then suddenly he challenges, like, everything. And you're using a second half, you're losing tight ends. It's a, a timeouts, I mean. And then Stafford goes and throws it to Cup, made it 17-14. Uh, but then third and two, then the 49ers had the ball. And this was the key play. Third and two on the Rams, 45, 10 minutes left. Kyle Juszczyk goes up the middle and he doesn't get the first down. That play call was a little questionable, like not using Debo, not using Elijah Mitchell, using USAC on a play that was so important. You know, Shanahan gets a lot of credit for this genius play. That really wasn't good, forcing them to punt. I still would have punted that ball. I feel like the defense was, I, I think they needed to punt the ball. But what does Stafford do with nine minutes to go and the score is 17-14? Throws the ball. Like, it was almost like just up in the, for grabs. I, I couldn't believe it. It was like a Hail Mary at the end of the thing to the 50-yard line and um, Willis had the ball in his hands. He didn't have to jump for the ball, and, and, and he dropped it. That could have been an interception. 
And it was just, un- it hit him in the numbers, hit him in the what? I mean, it was unbelievable drop. And then the next thing, what does Stafford do? Throw to Beckham. Then Beckham gets an illegal, there was a, a, a personal foul penalty against him after he got the ball by Jimmy Ward, which was a ridiculous penalty. Like, you should never have done that. Rams go down there, kick a field goal, 17-17. And then the 49ers, at that point, Jimmy G, three straight incompletions. The Rams go back down, throw to, to Blanton three times, to Cup. And then, uh, and then they, uh, and then they on third and eighteen for eight yards. And I like what they did at the end. They set they instead of going. That's a smart thing the Rams did. They didn't try what the Chiefs were doing. Big play. They tried to get the small little. Besides that Stafford stupid pass, they tried to you know at that play on a third and eighteen. Let's get the ball closer for the field goal. Let's not try to score the touchdown. Like that was the smart move. They got the field goal, got in field goal range, and were able to hold off. And then of course Jimmy G at the end. You know the last two possessions the 49ers had were terrible. He throws the interception. But it was a point where that's, I think, the two plays where they couldn't get the ball on third and two when they didn't get the first down and when they didn't make the, the interception, those were the two things that killed the, the 49ers. Do you want to uh, make any predictions now for the uh, Super Bowl? What do you think is going to go? I'm telling you, I really think, uh, we're going to talk about it more next week, but my gut first is I'm not sold on the Bengals. I'm the only person maybe alive that's not sold, but I just think that they're, I just think they're, I, I think they've won against the Raiders. They won against the Titans. And I think the, when I saw the line at four, I was surprised. I think if the Rams can play their A game, and the Rams' A game should be much, much better than the Bengals' A game. Like, this could be a blowout. But I think what's holding the Rams back is you're waiting for the Stafford interceptions. You're waiting for the Cam Akers fumbles. You're waiting for the mistakes. Like, if they could get clean up their game and play that perfect game, then I think the Rams can win this game. And I think... I just, but you're waiting for it. But I loved how in this game, I mean, the key thing for me is the stats are really, you know, it's now another game where Beckham, nine catches, 113 yards. You know, everyone thought that Antonio Brown going to the the, uh, Buccaneers was the big play. But Beckham, who was doing nothing, I mean, remember, Cleveland just let him go. They didn't even trade him. It was just, they just let him go. And he's just been one game after another, super games. Cup, 11 catches, 142 yards. I mean, Stafford and Jimmy G, you know, Stafford had a good game, 337 yards, Jimmy G. I don't think he had a terrible game. I mean, 232 yards, but that, you know, interception didn't count at the end and two touchdowns. But it was, and both teams couldn't really run the ball. But the fact is, is that I just think between Cup and the defense that the Rams, the Von Miller, like, remember, the Bengals offensive line, but they only sacked the Chiefs. Can you imagine this? The Chiefs, uh, Burrow only gave up. Burrow was only sacked one time. The Chiefs only got one sack, whereas he was sacked nine times the week before, whereas Mahomes was sacked four times, which is crazy. But I really think that the Rams defense with Aaron Donald and Von Miller are just going to sack, you know, Burrow ten times. I really like the Rams in the Super Bowl, but maybe I'll change my mind after thinking about it. But I just think that it's just... I think the I think the Bengals are not there yet, and I think the the Cinderella story will end. It's Ira on Sports through Oldies Channel. Uh, Mike Balsamo. Don't forget to follow Ira all across social media at Ira on Sports. We're going to have Vahe Gregorian join us in about ten minutes. Um, let's talk about it, Ira. The goat hung it up, or did he hang it up? We do we know what's going on with him? It does look like though Tom Brady's thrown his last pass. Um, I don't. You know what? I think that Schefter. I think it was irresponsible reporting like clearly it wasn't announced like he's wrong like i don't his job Schefter and darlington these people that break stories their not job is to predict their job is to report and i think that's what we're missing so even if 
Brady ends up retiring and Schefter's going to say, I was right. But you were wrong. Like, you're supposed to report, like, this is going to happen. Like, I, I don't, like, is he going to report? Is the, So the next report is, like, the Rams are going to win the Super Bowl. Like, well, okay. Is that a report? Is that a prediction? Like, again, I just think it's, like, ridiculous. Or, you know, at what point, if Brady retires five years from now, will he say, well, he's retired? Like, again, I just feel like it was irresponsible on his part to make an announcement that Brady was going to retire. Let Brady announce on his own that day. I, I, I just, I don't care if Brady retires two days from now or three days from now. I think it was completely irresponsible for Scheffner to, to report that for everything to be talked about. And uh, again, I just think I would, if I'm Brady, I might just come back to show Scheffner for wrong. You know, like I would like to say, you know, I'm going to come back and play. Now we're, we're on right now at seven o'clock. Brady is doing a live radio show with Jim Gray and Larry Fitzgerald. So I'm looking to see if anything could be reported. So maybe he will announce on his show, but I just feel like the story broke and you expected it. But then when he's, when, when the person denies that it's true, then your reporting is wrong. Like your reporting is dead wrong. And I just think, and Schefter keeps going on TV and everyone says, oh, you know, he predicted it. I'm like, no, you're wrong. You're, you, he did announce it. And I just, again, I just, I felt like it's, Tom Brady deserves to be able to make the announcement when he feels like it. And I think that the reporting was just, that's why I'm mad about the reporting side. Let's talk about the actual, you know, if he does retire, what, you know, what the plan is there. I'm not saying I completely blame him. I mean, he signed a two-year deal. He did, you know, he, he did what he had to do, got them a Super Bowl. That team is not necessarily trending in the right direction. Um, it doesn't mean that they wouldn't still be competing with, for a Super Bowl with Brady, but if you throw, say, you know, a marginal quarterback in there, that's a, that's a five, six win team next year. I, I just, I don't, I, I don't buy them that much. So it's not like he's cashing in on the stock at its peak. I think they're falling off. I still think though, you know, he got, he got a situation that he liked. Um, and it's in a situation where he can pick, you know, work with his coaching staff that he gets along with. It took him a year. They had a one year they sort of lost. They won the Super Bowl, but it was because of COVID. I think you're waiting for this year to come back, and they had some injuries, but they could have injuries next year too. Um, but we'll see. I, I I hope he comes back. I just enjoy watching him play. Certainly, I went to four of his games this year, you know, thinking that there's a chance that he wasn't going to play. So I went, you know, thinking of these. I was up in New England for the game, the Baltimore, the uh, Buffalo game, the Saints game, and then the playoff game against uh, the Rams. But uh, and I always sat behind the bench, taking pictures. Take took pictures. So you're always in your mind thinking it's going to happen. But on the other hand, I just I feel like you know it would be great to see him come back, and he's talked about it. But maybe it, you know again, people always retire, and and if he feels comfortable, I mean, he doesn't need to keep. He's only playing because that's what he wants to do. His leg. Some of these other quarterbacks might have to feel like they have to play for their legacy. I mean, <laughs> there's no his legacy is already set. He could go next year zero and sixteen. It's not going to affect his legacy at all. It's like when Jordan Jordan played for the Wizards for two years when he's in his forties, and uh, and and no one hold, and he's still the goat. So it doesn't really you know affect him at all. No, no, and I, I agree with you on that. His legacy can't be touched. Speaking of legacy, your legacy is pretty good this season. Um, you took in, what was it, 22 uh, NFL and college games. You were at more live sporting events than these athletes were, Ira. Well, uh, five Penn State games, including the Auburn game at home, which was awesome, and the uh, and the Michigan game. And then I was at the Ohio State Penn State game. And then I certainly was, you know, I mentioned about the four Tampa Bay games I went to, uh, Steeler games. I saw four at home. I saw the three three on the road at Minnesota, the the Charger game and the Brown game. And then uh, the college football game, playoff games. I went to the you know, the semifinals, the Orange Bowl, the national championship game in Indianapolis, and uh, and then this, the Penn State Outback Bowl game. And then uh, we we'll throw in, how about the Dolphin Texan game? That that's the highlight maybe of the year, <laughs> the Dolphins versus the Texans. But uh, so yeah, that all adds up to the twenty two. I think it's probably the most. 
I've been to I was less Penn State games than I normally go to, but uh, considering everything, I, that's, that's I I wasn't expecting to start the year going to twenty two, but uh, you know, and those are all you know they're hard to get to games and everything like that. So it was good. So I, I enjoyed it. It was it, it's it's uh, it was a good football season. I wish the Steelers would have done. I wish the Steelers would have had this end. And you know, I'm a little nervous to to talk about Brady. It's like again when you look at these quarterbacks and you're looking at a situation, you're saying to yourself. Wow, another position now. Like there are about six or seven teams that don't have quarterbacks. I mean, Carolina doesn't have a quarterback. The, if Brady retires, the Buccaneers don't. The Steelers don't. I mean, there are players like Teddy Bridgewater and Sam Darnell. Like they're still going to find jobs. Nick Foles. I mean, there's a point where there's a lot of teams in the league that just Daniel Jones. I mean, there are. You know, everyone says I'll get rid of. You know, Ryan Tannehill is maybe not great, but when everyone else is retiring, you know, you're not doing better than Ryan Tannehill. You're not doing better than Baker Mayfield. You're not doing better. These teams are Derek Carr. Like you're worrying about. Your teams complain about their quarterbacks, but it's like, who are you replacing them with? Like, there's not other players that are going to go. There's not like, everyone said Russell Wilson. Well, Russell Wilson can only play for one team. Aaron Rodgers might retire himself. He can only <laughs> play for one team. There's all these other teams that need quarterbacks. And I'm not, you know, as a Steeler fan, I'm not comfortable that Mason Rudolph, you know, Dwayne Haskins is going to lead them to victory. And, and so I think it's, you know, it's one thing. Even the even the 49ers saying, oh, we're going to get rid of Jimmy G. Okay, Trey Lance. We've you now we'll see how good Trey Lance can do in that situation. You know, he Jimmy G's got them to Super Bowls and championship games. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, Jimmy G would not be unemployed very long at all. And we all criticize him, but someone would find him immediately. Because like you said, there's no, it's not enough quarterbacks to go around. That's the uh, quarterback carousel. Let's talk about the coaching carousel, Ira. A lot of uh, a lot of pieces starting to fall into place already. We'll get you all caught up. Uh, first up, let's talk about Josh McDaniels. He's going to accept the job in Vegas, taking the uh, uh, reins of the Raiders. I don't know, Ira, and, and we don't know what jobs he was offered. We don't know who else they wanted. If I were Josh McDaniels, I would not want this job. The, the Raiders are they're not the most dysfunctional franchise in football, but they're pretty close to the top of the list. I would not want to be stepping into this into the situation if I was in. Well, the funny thing is we're going to talk about four coaching changes, Raiders, Bears, Broncos, and Giants. The common theme on three of the four are Saban and Belichick, which is that I did not realize Josh McDaniels began his coaching career as a senior graduate assistant at Michigan State under Nick Saban. <laughs> so he worked under Saban, and then, of course, he was at, at, at uh, the Patriots from 2001 to 2008. Went to Denver for two years, just for a year and a half, really, and then was fired. And 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 he's only forty five, so he was in his like mid thirties when he did that. And he was like the Rams' offensive coordinator for a year, then back at New England for nine years. And you might remember he went to the Colts, was named the Colts the coach, and then turned it. It was announced it that the ceremony, and then backed away from that. And people say, well, no one's going to give him a, a job offer or whatever. But I agree. I think the Raiders. I think it, he feels like it's he didn't want to. I feel like he feels. I don't think he wanted to go to the Dolphins to coach in the division. Maybe he'd prefer to go to the NFC. But um, I, I think he wants to work with Carr. There's some, there's some pieces there that he wanted, but I think he felt like it was time for him to, to get a job. I and mean, people thought he would just stay around until Belichick retired and take that job. But, uh, but still, it doesn't mean he can't come back. You know, it's like if he's going to the Raiders and does well, he can go back to England if he wanted to come back. Let's talk about Chicago. They grabbed that defensive coordinator from Indy, Matt Eberflus. And this, to me, Ira, I don't like the tire. I, you, you just drafted a young quarterback. Why not get an offensive coach who can develop quarterbacks as opposed to a defensive coordinator, but the Bears do the Bears type things. And, you know, we talked about this earlier. I just mentioned it. If you don't, It's like a requirement. Oh, they're like, check the box. Have you worked? Have you have you coached under Nick Saban? How about Matt Everflus? Under Nick Saban used to coach at Toledo. I mean, that's years and years ago. Toledo. And he played under under Nick Saban. So, I mean, again, another another situation where it was. And, uh, um, 
Uh, and then uh, and then he was an eight-year defensive coordinator at Missouri. His Cowboys, seven years. And then uh, Josh McDaniels hired him. Uh, uh, you know, McDaniels hired him uh, to be the coach. And then uh, when he decided not to take the job, Frank Reich at Indianapolis, you know, has kept him on. And he's you know, done a great job with the Colts as defensive coordinator. So Let's talk about um, Denver bringing over Green Bay's OC, Nathaniel Hackett. Um, yeah, I mean, that, again, it's one of those things where they hired him. It's like, oh, does Aaron Rodgers coming with him? I mean, he's the offensive coordinator. He was the was Bill, Syracuse. And the, really the whole purpose is, like, they don't care how good Nathaniel Hackett is as a coach. It's like, can you deliver? It's like when you're coaching, when you hire, when you're a coach at a college and they bring an assistant who's like the dad of a prep recruit and the coach says, oh, he's a really good coach. No, you're really bringing him as assistant coach. Like I think when Danny Manning's fa father got hired at Kansas, it's like, no, he's a really good coach. No, you were brought here. So his son goes, it's almost like was Nathaniel Hackett hired at Denver just so Aaron Rodgers plays there. So that would be the question. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they were angling at at all. Um, <laughs> what's it called? Let's talk about my New York Giants. Joe Shane is the new GM. He was the AGM in Buffalo. So what does he do? First two interviews, Buffalo's offensive coordinator, Brian Dable, and the defensive coordinator, Leslie Frazier. They did decide to hire Brian Dable. They say the plan for now is to keep Daniel Jones. Um, I like this hire, Ira, as a Giants fan. I, I like the I like the GM hire. I like I, I want the GM to have worked with the coach and know you know be on the same page before they even start. So I'll take this one. Another one, what did we say? Saban and Belichick. So he was a grad assistant at Michigan State under Saban. I mean, again, it's just Saban. And then Patriots, he helped Patriots win three Super Bowls under Belichick as in the offense. It wasn't the coordinator, but worked in the offense. Then he worked under Mangini. He was with the Dolphins under Sperano. But then he came back to New England. You know, it seemed like whenever he was in New England, they won Super Bowls. So that's a good thing. It was never like, I don't know, they won six of their Super Bowls in like seven years he was there. And then did you realize that he was the offensive coordinator at the 2017 Bama team that two of won over Georgia, the team that Alabama won, of course, under Nick Saban. And then the last three years he's been with uh, uh josh allen with the buffalo bills but again it's just it's we have four four coaching hires three of them are just Saban and belichick all over the place and you're like if you just want a job in coaching or be a head coach get under Saban and get under belichick i mean that's why everyone's going there as like a volunteer assistant and those things let's go to um the cowboys here a lot of people think that sean payton is going to be getting linked up with them i personally i mean well sean payton retired obviously as we can mention that but a lot of people are already linking him to the Cowboys IRA. I don't know about that. I think it is. I'm going to make that prediction. I think not this year. It seems like he won't, but he'll sit a year out. But in 2006, he was on the staff with Jason Garrett. And, and Parcells waited till the summer later to retire. And so... But Peyton had taken at 2006 the Saints job. Parcells quits, and people thought that Peyton would come back and coach the Cowboys. Peyton stays at, with the Saints and doesn't come, you know, stays at the Saints, of course. And then Wade Phillips gets hired because Parcells reti retires. And then Jason Garrett becomes a job. I think they've been waiting. He lived there for years. Sean Peyton lived in Dallas and would fly every day on a jet. So I think there's still this possibility. Maybe not this year. But I mean, he is not the—he's not the telegenic person who's going to have these great, like John Gruden on television, or those things. I think Peyton does something in an analysis role for a year. But if, unless the Cowboys look win the Super Bowl under McCarthy next year, I mean, it, it's going to be—it could be—they could make the change in the middle of the year, really, if they start out poorly. So, who still has uh, coaching positions available? Um, well, Dolphins, of course, Saints, Vikings, Jaguars, and Texans. 
So we got five more. I mean, this, and it's like one of those years where if you don't get a job this year, when you look at where the positions are, I'm like, man, next year, maybe Matt Rule. There's only a couple of positions that could even be open next year. So this is going to be the, you know, this is going to be the time when people get hired. Um, we've got just one or two minutes till we get to Vahe Gregorian uh, here on Iron Sports. You want to uh, start on the U.S. Open real quick? Uh, I mean, the Australian Open real quick? Yeah, I mean, clearly. I've, the... Um, you know, I think it was getting up at 2.30 in the morning. I mean, it was one of the most exciting things to see. I mean, Nadal has only won one title in Australia. And in 2012, he lost to Djokovic in five sets in six hours. I remember watching that match. It was unbelievable. And in 2017, he lost in five sets to Federer when he was up three sets to one in the fifth set. And then in, you know, so it was like a situation where he has only won 20 Grand Slam titles, but only one Australian. And then in uh, 2019, Nadal and Medvedev played this ma masterful five-set match where it was to, Nadal won the first set, two sets, Medvedev won the second, and Nadal won it in the fifth. And, uh, and then we know, of course, that Medvedev last year beats Joker to stop the Grand Slam in the U.S. Open. So he's, but he's done really well in the Australian Open. And so they met, you know, there's no Djokovic in this, and Medvedev's number two player in the world, and Nadal just had his foot, had foot surgery uh, three, four months ago that thought his career might be over. And so it was just to start this match. I mean, Medvedev broke the first set and broke him early, went up 6-2. The second set, uh, it, was, it was like one of those, Nadal had the advantage. He was, he was serving at 3-1, serving at 5-4, uh, but could not hold on to win that. It was just it was, uh, one of those things. And then Nadal, you know, he ended up winning the set. Medvedev won the second set 7-6. Seven, seven, and Medvedev is a weird game. Medvedev plays so far back to return the serve and then just moves right. When he's like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, he's like scangly and whatever, but it's so fast and so quick. I mean, no, we've never seen a tennis player like him. Usually people with serves like that, you know, you're a great server, you're tall, you can't move. He moves like a, someone who's 5'10", 5'8", and he runs around. It's just a crazy, and the game really caused Nadal a lot of problems. But in the third, third set, Nadal's down 2-3, love 40. You're thinking it's over. I can go back to sleep, three, sleep a few hours. But Nadal breaks him and ends up winning. That's at 6-4. And then Medvedev starts getting mad. He's yelling at the umpire because the fans are cheering for Nadal. Well, of course, Nadal's won 20 titles. He's been a fan favorite for decades. You know, he, of course he's going to be. So they're cheering. He doesn't like how the ball boys are, are holding the balls. He's complaining about everything, and it's just distracting him, and he's not able to do anything. And that's where it all, you know, it certainly all fell apart for him in terms of in the, in the fourth set. Lost 6-4. And then you're just waiting for, in the fifth set, you know, Nadal's 35. Medvedev's only 25 years old. You're like, you know, Nadal's going to run out of gas. Nadal, no. You know, he fights through it, fights through it. And, uh, and it was like one of those things where Medvedev just, he just wore Medvedev down. He took him to the deep end of the pool and said, look, I played Djokovic in five sets. I played Federer in five sets. I've been in these great matches for five hours. Medvedev, you don't know what I've been through. And that muscle memory helped him, and he ends up winning in five sets. And Medvedev was like, I'm never playing an Australian Open again. The fans are too mean to me. I don't like the umpire. It was crazy. But Nadal has his 21st victory, and he goes into the French Open as the favorite. So maybe he gets to 22. Remember, Djokovic's at 20, and Federer's at 20. What was Medvedev complaining about with the Australian Open fans? Well, he doesn't like that they cheered. They, they, really, they were cheering in between serves and whatever, but he's got to expect that's going to happen. And you know what was weird is that Djokovic, when Djokovic had to win 20 Grand Slams, and he's never been, they've never cheered Djokovic over Nadal and Federer. They've always cheered. I mean, again, it's like, what are you thinking? Like, again, it's sort of like the Bengals 
being at the at the at the Chiefs game and saying, I can't believe the Chief fans are booing us. Like I don't like Medvedev, you get, you know, it's like, oh, they're only booing me because it's I'm Russian. No, they're not booing you because you're Russian. They're booing you because they love Rafael Nadal. He's one of the most he's the popular tennis player in Federer of all time. Like that's why they're cheering him. Like, don't take it personally, Medvedev. Like, and then he starts like after that he won the second set, he's like cheering the fans up. Like it was almost insulting Nadal. Like, you want to boo me? He walked around the court. Like it was almost that. And I think that fired up Nadal too. It's like, like, why are you up the fans like that and doing that so i think that was what you know that but it's like but a, a big win for nadal and uh and, and a surprise because no one thought he was like going into it he's like the seventh or eighth favorite to win the the tournament and it would have been a great bet i i like the odds on him i think it was like 15 16 to 1 those have been great odds for that tournament oh yeah no I, i'm shocked it was up that high too what's uh what's next for tennis um I, you know, we're going to talk about the Indian Wells and then in Miami in a month or two. Uh, so I think that's where, again, the, their, their, their years are weird. They have the Australian in January, and the next Grand Slam is the French, which is in, uh, in March. So they actually are in May, really, May. So they go a time period. You know, there's a big gap between the majors, whereas golf is like once a month. Tennis is there's a gap like that. Let's, uh, let's talk about golf. Uh, first career win for Luke List. He beat Will Zalatoris uh, in a playoff. Um, and... Luke List, obviously not a name on a lot of people's radar, Zyra, but people that are fans of the Honda Classic should probably have heard of him before. Yeah, I mean, he finished second. Uh, he lost in the Honda to, to Justin Thomas in 2018 in a playoff. So it was, uh, it was pretty crazy that he, you know, that he was able to do, to do that and to, uh, you know, that was... Uh, uh, you know, but he had never won a tournament. So this was the first tournament that he ever, you know, he, you know, this is his first tournament win. He, he had played 206 tournaments and it's the first one he, he was, he was able to win. Uh, we do have our caller on the line. He's joining us now on Iron Sports. It's Vahe Gregorian. Thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Gregorian. Hey, good to be with you guys. I'm having a little trouble hearing you though. Vahe, I think you Go might ahead. hear me a little bit better, but I appreciate it. this is Iron Sports. So, uh, just yeah, hey, Ira. How's it going? I, you know, I read your column today, and it was just, I read it once, and I read it twice. I think I read it four times. And uh, it was more like in the, in the Kansas City Star. Vahai, first of all, thanks a lot for coming. You're, you're you know, one of the voted one of the top 10 sports columnists in the United States. You won a Pulitzer Prize. But you almost said the window, the essence of the column was that the window is not closed. It's wide open. But let's get nervous. You know, it's sort of like it, it might, you know, don't just think it's going to stay wide open forever for the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, and I think that obviously that point hits home uh, down your way. Um, but it, it is interesting. I mean, I think you, you get to this place where you feel like, well, okay, it, this guy's the magic unicorn and this is going to be like this forever. He's still young. But, you know, some things around him um, need to get better. So does Patrick. And, uh, you know, the window is still wide open, but it got, it got a little tighter. And I think that's, that's the question now. I mean, they've been to, if we, if we can extrapolate uh, in the NFL, call it a Final Four, they've been to the Final Four four straight years. And here they are with uh, one Super Bowl win to show for it. So uh, on one hand, they're at this plateau un unprecedented in franchise history, really. On the other hand, they're, they're not, I guess, optimizing, maximizing what uh, you might hope they could get out of this time. And, and the essence of your column was you're like from 69 to Mahomes, they had, they hadn't, you know, won a playoff, they won 21 years without winning a playoff game. And you're like the word, same old Chiefs, same old Chiefs. And you're like, well, Mahomes is a quarterback, so we can't be the same old Chiefs. But 
then you see things that's happened in the last, it's sort of like you get nervous because you see these losses when they've been the favorite, you know, you're seven and a half point favorite and you're up 21-3 at the end of the, you know, it's just, it's like, that's what's scary is like, and if you're, if not now, when we want to mention about Dan Marino, I mean, who thought would Dan Marino after a second year wins the Super Bowl, you're like, he'll never make the Super Bowl again. I mean, Dan Marino, you're like, you're saying, well, he must've got injured. No, no, he had a great career. He passed for more yards and touchdowns than any other quarterback, but he never made the Super Bowl again. And well, who was his coach? Well, Don Shula, like Jimmy Johnson, like it was, you know, it's crazy to think that it's not guaranteed that you have Patrick Mahomes that you're going to be in the final four or in the Super Bowl every single year. Yeah, that's right. And and look, here's an interesting thing too, and I think this is the, the, the difficult part for Chiefs fans. You know, I think the the magic of the Mahomes era has, has been just full of full of a lot of comebacks and a lot of drama. It it hasn't had this. It hasn't had a, a twenty one to three lead uh, just evaporate. And that was a big part of Chiefs postseason history. And even under Andy Reid, they blew an 18-point lead against the Titans. Uh, you know, Prima Holmes when Alex Smith was here. Of course, they blew that 38 to 10 lead against the Colts. And I think, I think we all thought that was over. That a commanding lead with uh, with Patrick Mahomes means, you know, go ahead and start um, firing up the bus for uh, for for Los Angeles in this case. And and it just that's the shock factor, I think, especially after the 13 second. Uh, drama the week before where you felt like well it doesn't matter what happens they're gonna they're gonna find a way and you mentioned the great point about the great players i mean we're down here in south florida certainly tiger woods i mean tiger woods has a lead in a major it's over you know he's gonna he's gonna play smart and win that tournament and you didn't see you know brady how many leads of 21 to 3 has he blown in his and you're just you were just in total shock that it's like again i would listen to talk radio in Kansas City after the game, and people are complaining about the defense. And I'm like, the defense? Like, you held them to, to field goals. I mean, it was like field, two, four field goals and two touchdowns. I mean, it's like, don't play in the defense. I mean, it's like you scored three points in the second half and at 84 yards from a, from the, a quarterback that you're paying a half a billion dollars to. I, I think that's where the, you know, the shock of the whole of the loss comes from. Yeah, that, no, that's exactly right. And you're, you're spot on about the, the defense. I mean, look, the defense could have done a thing or two more. On the other hand, when uh, the Chiefs came out flat in the second half, um, you know, the first drive, the Chiefs punt, uh, defense holds and forces a punt. Second drive, you know, defense gives up a little bit of yardage but holds them to a field goal. The play that broke the back, I think, it really was the uh, interception by a defensive lineman. I guess it was a middle screen and Patrick really telegraphed it, or they really scouted it, whatever you want to say. But that 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 was when um, I stopped writing my uh, early running copy about Chiefs winning and decided I better get invested in the possibility of them losing. <laughs> oh my! I mean, and he's and and Mahomes is you know not throwing a lot of interceptions here, but it seems like those are the type of plays he throws where he's like trying to force it, trying to throw it in that perfect pass. And 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 it, and it was like you know a little too cute for school, and it, and it just worked out. And, and these defensive linemen now are like you know when he throws the ball, you know these defensive linemen are athletic. I mean they know how to you know. And he's not. I mean I know they list Patrick at six three, but he looks a little smaller than six three. But it's like he's you know sometimes you can't throw it over these tall six seven six eight defensive linemen. Well, that's right. And what what's really too bad is that kind of the narrative of Patrick's season, kind of the arc of his season, had been that uh, after getting a little scrambled in the first seven games with a few things. The defense was really bad. He was, he was pushing too hard. He wasn't being patient. 
he had really gotten into a rhythm um, most of the last part of the season with, you know what, we're going to be patient. Now, I don't know why the Chiefs got away from the running game. I think that they made some, uh, some curious calls, especially, you know, we're going to point to all these different reasons they lost, but really it came down to first and goal at the five with a minute 30 left. They run one play. Uh, McKinnon runs one yard to the forward, second and goal. They've got a minute 26 left now, and Tampa's out of – I'm sorry, Tampa. Cincinnati's out of timeouts. So, score. Go ahead and score. Uh, get a touchdown. And they got a little, as you said, a little too cute for school. Um, a sack. You can't have a sack there, and then you can't have a second sack there. And that, that was it. I mean, I, we were talking in the press box at that point, like, doesn't Cincinnati have to let them score a touchdown? Just, and, and the Chiefs couldn't, couldn't even get in. Well, we're talking to Vahe Gregorian, uh, the sports writer, columnist for Kansas City Star. When I'm on the, I was on the 50-yard line, 25 rows up, and I'm, I'm looking at that, and when they handed the ball off on the, on the second down play, I thought they handed to McKinnon, and McKinnon just walked right into the touchdown. And I'm thinking, oh, they scored, and, and I thought, like you, did Cincinnati just let him score because they want time, you know, they want a time to go back for the touchdown. I was shocked by that, and it's just, that was just amazing. And then, at the end of the first half, the 20, you know, 21-10 and, 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 and to, and, you know, I know Mahomes, I heard the interviews where Reed said, well, we got, gave him the wrong play. Mahomes said I was greedy. And I thought, well, with five seconds, why not just run one quick play and then just kick the field goal? And then the, the backwards pass to Hill was, made no sense whatsoever. No, it was. It was. And I, I think really, you know, Andy, Andy's always going to, you know, protect Patrick. And I mean, I think the idea of that play was, you know, you see something in the end zone, throw it, otherwise throw it away, give us a second or two to kick a field goal. I think that was the idea of the play. And for whatever reason, Patrick seemed to think Tyreek could get by two guys over there, but he didn't have the right angle. And, you know, the clock ran out. I never saw this replay, but I've heard people talking about that Patrick uh, was trying to call a timeout after that that he didn't have. I, I never saw that myself, but enough people have said it that I'm, I'm sure it must be true, um, which suggests to me that, you know, he he might not have not have really understood the situation they're in. Now the clock ran out anyway. It wasn't the timeout wasn't going to cut it, but it speaks to maybe that he just didn't didn't have the right feel for the moment. Right, and you're 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 playing at home. You're playing at Arrowhead, and 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 I've been to 25 NFL stadiums. I've, I'm now certainly the d- indoor domes, the Superdome, even SoFi are loud because they're a dome. They actually create, but from an outdoor stadium. Arrowhead is the loudest I've ever heard. I mean, it's the loudest stadium. And it's such an advantage for the Chiefs. And it seems like, you know, you've you got to be used to it. I mean, he plays in this at home eight times a year, nine times a year sometimes. So it, that would be, uh, I, I guess, do you think, where will the Chiefs go? I mean, this is the big question and no one knows, but where do they go from this? Like, is this is this something that's going to propel them in terms of getting more focus? Are we going to look back after they win two more titles? I mean, again, the Patriots, after they lost to the Giants in the Super Bowl and had those crazy losses, you're like, wow, and then they ended up winning more Super Bowls afterwards. Or is this something that might, you know, this this could be like when we started looking at the turning point, like this could have been the high watermark for the Chiefs. Well, you're right, and that's that's the great mystery. I mean, it looks to me like they've still got a good nucleus. Uh, it looks to me like, you know, especially when you've got the, the triumvirate of uh, Patrick, Travis, and, and Tyreek Hill, um, and and really a really good interior line now. Um, you know, they, they probably need a little development on the tackles, uh, so they have to answer some questions about what they're going to do there. Um, I It strikes me as more a matter of tweaks than anything else. I mean, after last season, they had to rebuild the whole offensive line. They started the season with five new guys on the line, 
Um, Andrew Wiley was playing by season's end, but, but that was a radical overhaul they had to do. I don't think they have to do that. I think they need to take a scalpel to it. I think you could make a case. They, they may benefit from some streamlining in, in the coaching staff and maybe a little bit of change. I, I, I think, um, you know, you can question the play calling in the second half a little bit and, and, you know, how much did they help Patrick there? So there, there's some things to look at. Um, but I, I do think, you know, the basic core of this is still pretty good. Um, but I think maybe, you, you, you know, people in Miami could say that uh, four, three, four years into the Marino era and, and um, it, it didn't lead to what you might have hoped. So the other thing that's a little tricky now is that, you know, Joe Burrow is going to be around a while and Josh Allen's going to be around a while and Justin Herbert's going to be around a while. This is a pretty loaded AFC. I didn't even mention Lamar Jackson. I mean, there, there's, there's, you know, we look at Patrick, as I said before, as the magic unicorn here, but there's other ones of them out there, it turns out. And so it's, we, we tended to think of him as rev, transformative and revolutionary, but you know, there's formidable uh, challenges out there and, and uh, it's exciting in the sense of parody, but it's, it's certainly no lock for the chiefs to stay at the top. And there's also that risk that you're paying, you know, the homes, uh, the $30, $40 million a year, whereas Burrow is making, you know, Burrow and Herbert are still on the rookie deal, so they have extra that money money to spend. I mean, that's an advantage the Chiefs had for years. They were able to have Mahomes under that rookie contract, and that's going to hurt. You know, it certainly, you know, as going forward, these teams that, you know, pay their quarterbacks a ton of money doesn't leave as much money to, for round for the other players. No, that's true, and, and they have to, you know, be smart with that. They, they might have to make some painful decisions. Um, you know, guys they might sort of prefer to have, but make a lot of money. Maybe there'll be, I'm just making this up, but maybe there's another little bit of restructuring. You know, I think Patrick worked the contract. I don't have the numbers with me, but in such a way that they could, uh, you know, backload some of the money and things like that. Um, but, but you, you, you're right. I mean, it, it, they've, they've got to get better. Um, I think probably the thing they have to improve the most is, is their capacity to rush. Um, I, I don't think that that was what it needed to be. I mean, my gosh, Joe Burrow was sacked nine times the week before, and the Chiefs got to him once. Amazing. So it, Amazing. There, there's some things that uh, they've got to shore up, but I do still feel like they've they've got uh, potential for a lot ahead. That's good. That's good. No, and and one last uh, one last question is: I noticed I got there super early before the game. They were so relaxed. Like they before, do they normally before the game just go in their sweats and just play games? Like I've never seen a team. And I'm the only other time I saw the Ravens come before the Ravens when they lost to the Titans. I made that comment earlier on the show. They seem just so. I'm like they're either too relaxed or whatever because they were like playing games. Mahomes is running pass patterns. Hills throwing the ball. Kelsey throwing the ball. Like they're just like a bunch of kids out in the backyard playing football. And I'm like. Were they too relaxed? I mean, is that just, you know, you didn't see the Bengals doing that. Well, you know, what's interesting, you, you could say that, and, and yet um, it, it seemed they were in a, you know, what you might call a flow state or something that first half. I mean, that, that, so that suggests to me that they had the right mindset going into the game. As for what happened afterwards, you know, could you make a case that they sagged or that they let down? They thought they had the game. I, I you know, I don't know that you, you think that, uh, competitors that they are and the coaching staff has been through these things that nobody would allow that. I, I, I don't really even know that I can suggest it, but it, it, you know, there, there's something, something really went awry and, and part of it's the execution, but part of it, you have to wonder about the mindset in the second half. 
Well, Vahe, I really appreciate you coming on Iron Sports and, and let my listeners know uh, you're a, I mean, you're writing. You've won, I said, the Pulitzer Prize. You've, you've been one of the top 10 sports columnists in the country. What's the best way to follow you on uh, social media if people want to read about the Chiefs and, and, and hear your interesting stories? Yeah, thanks for that. It's uh, it's on Twitter. It's at V Gregorian, V like Victor Gregorian. And, uh, of course, we're KansasCity.com. Um and I feel the need to say I got nominated for a Pulitzer Prize, but I didn't get one. I'll, I'll give uh, but, it to you. How about uh, I give? I'll give you an Ira Prize. Yeah, I like. But, but but I got one. Yeah, I got one tonight. <laughs> <laughs> that column, and I I would encourage people. The column you wrote, I've said it was like it's on page one of the sports, and it was like one of those things you read, and then I read it again. I'm in the airport at six, and I'm at five thirty in the morning, so I haven't slept like hours, whatever. And I just kept reading, and I'm like. This is a perfect story. This is the way to capture. You just captured the entire uh, season and the game and, and the feeling of the Chiefs fans. So I appreciate you writing that and also coming on Iron Sports. Thank you so much. Well, my pleasure. And I'm delighted that uh, it reverberated with you like that. And uh, be glad to come on anytime, Ira. I really appreciate that you sought me out. Thanks. Great stuff there from Vahe Gregorian here on Iron Sports. Just a second or two here left, Iris. Football's pretty much done. You said you're probably not going to the Super Bowl, but you said that before and ended up there. So I'm not counting that out yet. But what are you doing this week? We, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think that, you know, I've only been to one NBA, 22 uh, football games this year, but only one NBA game. And I, and I haven't been to the Magic New Arena. So perhaps going to catch the Magic and I get to see John Morant there on Saturday night would be my one possibility. But uh, it's been such a great football season. I've loved it. I love going to these games. I, I just love going to these different atmospheres and seeing it. Chiefs fans were amazing. They're so supportive. I mean, I was wearing some Steeler garb and they're making fun of it. They're like, do you realize the Steelers lost? I, are you confused? And they were like, you know, they were so fun. Like, they're such great fans, and I, I just loved it all. I had a great football season. I know the Steelers of Penn State didn't what I, you know, do what I hoped them, but I loved it. I think, I think we both have enjoyed, especially the last two weeks of the NFL season, have been truly amazing and just amazing to watch. Absolutely it has. Thank you so much to Vahe Gregorian. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.